Howdy, and welcome to your dog's best life. This is Leanne, take two million. So today we're going to talk about reactivity in dogs. Reactivity in dogs is defined as the overreaction to common stimuli, mostly other dogs and people, often on walks, but also can be in the house or the yard. And those behaviors that we see in those dogs would be biting, barking, lunging, carrying on like a maniac, redirecting on owners, redirecting on the leash, redirecting on, you know, the house, whatever. It can escalate all the way to true aggression towards human beings, either the either the stimuli that they're reacting to or the person holding the other end of the leash, either one. So the reason I thought we would discuss this is because reactivity is both very, very, very common, all too common, and because it can be very stressful for the owner. It's obviously very stressful for the dog. And if it's left untreated, it can really impair the ability of the dog to live a fulfilled and full life, which is our whole purpose here is to help your dog live its best life. And if your dog's own behavior in public limits his ability to go out and have a life with you that really impairs their ability to have a full and complete life. It also impairs your ability to enjoy your dog the way you want to. So first, let's kind of take a dive down into what causes this cascade of behaviors, right? What causes our dogs to act like this when they see another dog or a person, usually on leash. And most of the time I'm, I'm going to be discussing it as though it's on leash, but recognize it can be happening anywhere. Most of the time that we see these behaviors occurring, they are caused by one of three buckets of emotions in the dog. So the first bucket would be fear, okay? That would be the dog who either has a history with other dogs and has had negative interactions. You know, a dog ran out from the nowhere and attacked them when they were on leash or they have been forced into introductions multiple times and they're done with it. And so they just don't want dogs in their face anymore. It could be any number of reasons, or it could just be that dog is just fearful. For those dogs, fear is demonstrated through the idea that the best defense is a strong offense, right? So they're going to make a big blustery mess to try to build space between them and that other dog. What they're saying, or human, what they're saying to the trigger is, I'm really, really fierce and scary, stay away from me. And the goal of the behavior is to build space, is to have that animal, human, whatever it is, go away. So that's the first bucket. And that, in my opinion, is the most common reason that we see dog-dog reactivity or dog-human reactivity. The second most common reason is frustrated greeters. Okay, those are your happy-go-lucky derpy dogs. A lot of these dogs go to daycare and these are dogs who see another dog and they want to go bounce off its head and be friends and be playful and they're not allowed to because we have a life or you don't know that other dog or the other dog will eat them. And so we say, no, Fluffy, you cannot go greet that dog. And they essentially throw a little temper tantrum. And that temper tantrum looks exactly the same because frustration is on the same continuum as rage under Panksep 7 Blue Ribbon Emotions. So it's on that same emotional continuum. It's just on the lower end. So it looks very similar, biting, barking, screaming, carrying on like a fool. The only difference is, is there's no real function for this bunch of behaviors other than a release of an emotion, right? It's more of a, just like screaming. It, it doesn't really, you're not trying to create distance or anything like that you're simply releasing your emotional state and that's how our dog is releasing the 
frustration that's bent, pent up in them because they want to go greet this dog. So they're not trying to build space. In fact, they'd prefer to close space, right? They want to go closer to that dog. And so actually with those dogs, if you continue to walk towards the trigger while they act like this, you're reinforcing that behavior because it's paying off. This explosive behavior that they're illustrating because they're frustrated is getting them what they want, which is closer to that other dog so they can play with it. The third and probably least common reason that I see for reactivity in dogs is kind of adolescent, certain breeds just kind of hit an age of just being shitheads. And usually that is dog-dog reactivity. I, I'm sure it could be in humans too, but 90% of the time I see it with dog-dog. And they just go through a phase where they just want to throw down and be assholes. And I don't see it very often. Honestly, my own, one of my own boar collies started with it. And I know her whole history. And so I'm like, well, this isn't fear. And you don't want to go say hi to that dog. Because I, you know, I know this dog. So I'm like, well, shit, what could this be? And I kind of had to take up a little bit of a deep dive into what could be behind this behavior because I wanted to get rid of it. And it really just came down to the fact that she was just going through an asshole phase and adolescence and just kind of wanted to throw down and be a little shit nugget to other dogs. And that, so in that case, again, the behaviors that she exhibited were that frustrated kind of, I want to go, in her case, I I don't know really what she wanted. I think she wanted, she thought she wanted to throw down, but I don't really know if she really wanted to throw down. But that was what I thought I saw was a dog who's like, let's do it. And like you're 30 pounds, that's a Rottweiler. They'll mop the floor with you. And she's like, I don't care. I'm 30 pounds of evil. So whatever. So in her case, it was a little bit of tincture time and it was also kind of just knock your shit off and get your head out of your ass. So that does bring us to how we treat this parade of of behaviors. And I think it's really important to understand that how we treat them, A, comes down to kind of how we train, where our training philosophy comes from, and B, kind of should come down to what the emotions are that, that are the backdrop for the behavior. So I'll be really honest with you. There are quite a few trainers out there who have no problem with seeing this behavior and just shutting it down. They put a prong collar on the dog or they take e-collar and the dog acts like an idiot and they just create a situation where the dog is stuck between a rock and a hard place and it can either display this, this behavior and feel pain or it can cease to display this behavior and feel okay. And while I do think there are times and places upon occasion where it's okay to utilize a heavy hammer for behavior, I don't think this is one of them. And I think honestly, ethically, since most of this behavior stems from fear, ethically to me, to take a fearful animal and, and add pain as a consequence of them displaying that fear is very ethically dubious. And I think dangerous because the dog's emotions are no longer being paid attention to in any way shape or form and I think that it's damaging to the relationship I mean if if your friend is frightened of of something and you walk up to him and slap him and say knock it off or else you, you can't help but damage that relationship and I don't think that friend is going to not be frightened anymore. I think they're going to be more frightened but now they're frightened of you as well and so I I really struggle with that as a solution for dogs who are displaying these behaviors for fear 
because of fear. And that's why to me, I don't like just saying the dog's reactive and then going from there with treatment. I want to say the dog is reactive. Why? What are the underlying emotions? Because I'm going to treat them differently. Because if a dog is barking and carrying on because they're frightened and they want to build space, well, then the way I help them is by keeping the space and treating them within a space where they feel comfortable and slowly getting closer and closer. Whereas a dog who wants to close space, who's a frustrated greeter, if I allow them to get closer and closer, I'm reinforcing that behavior. So for those dogs, we can use negative punishment. And if they start acting like an idiot, you turn around and walk away from the other dog. And you simply say, I will continue moving towards this dog as long as your behavior is appropriate. But the minute you lose your shit, we're going to just make a U-turn and you're going to go away from the dog. And you can very effectively, with a dog who's a frustrated greeter, very effectively get them to understand very quickly the cause and effect here. Whereas a fearful dog is not in that good control of their mental acuity. And it's harder to teach a fearful dog than it is to teach an excited dog right? I mean, if your kid is stoked to go to Disneyland, but you say, as long as you're carrying on like an idiot, we're not going in the door, that kid is usually going to gain control of their, of their emotions faster than a kid who's really, really scared to go in the water and let you say, well, I'm going to stay at a distance that you feel safe until you, until you feel safe. And then we're going to move closer incrementally. You can see that there's going to be a vast difference in, in how these, these kids in these two different scenarios react to that training or that intervention on our part. And so I thought it would be helpful to explain to people what it is that R plus or rewards based or cookie pushers or whatever the hell you want to call the trainers who don't just slap a tool on their dog to start with how they train this, how they work through this. So first be aware that there are many, many quote unquote balanced trainers. Those are trainers who use tools, the very tools I was discussing earlier, who will go through the exact same protocol I'm talking about right now before they put a tool on. And that's fantastic. And, and I'll explain to you why in a minute, but I, I think that just because a person reaches for a tool doesn't inherently make them bad. It's when they reach for the tool. So I do differentiate between what causes the dog to react. And if the dog is fearful, then I must ethically, must, must, must make that dog feel comfortable first. I don't distract it. I see trainers all the time. Oh, they're trying to distract them with cookies. No, we're not. We're actually doing science here. We're doing conditioned emotional response training, CER. We're doing desensitization and we're doing counter conditioning. All these fancy words are absolutely grounded in the absolute best and most uh, solid science out there. And what that science says is that if you live next to a railroad track, if you move next to a railroad track, at first you're going to be like, oh my God, these trains are so freaking annoying. And then eventually you will become completely inured to the sound of railroad, of the train. Okay. That's called desensitization. You're no longer sensitive to the sight of the train. So if your dog has a neutral reaction to something, say the vacuum cleaner, right? Say you have a young puppy and you've never seen a vacuum cleaner and you turn it on and the dog's like, holy God, and just leave it on. And the dog just says, oh, it's it's the background. It's part of my life. Vacuum cleaners happen. That's desensitizing. Counter conditioning is when the dog already has a pre-existing conditioned response to that stimuli. So if your dog is already frightened of the vacuum cleaner, well, then just turning it on and leaving it to the dog is going to have very minimal effect because they're already frightened of it. And so instead of 
of doing that, we have to do something more systematic, which is we have to get the animal close enough to the trigger to be aware of its presence and to be a little bit concerned about it, but not so concerned about it that they go into flight fight because then you've lost their brain right now. They're panicked. There's a window that we have to work within too far away and we're not going to make any progress, right? If the, if the train, if you're frightened of trains, right? Whatever reason, maybe you're run over by one. You're frightened of trains. Having the knowledge that there's a train somewhere in the city probably doesn't bother you at all, okay? It's too far away. So if I try to counter condition you and you're so far away that maybe you can see the train through binoculars, but you're not scared of it, well, I'm not teaching you anything. If on the other hand, I put you in a car kidnap you and haul you all the way to the edge of the railroad tracks and make you stand there as trains go whooshing by, I'm also not training you. I'm freaking you out, but you're not becoming desensitized. You're being freaked out. There's a middle ground where I show you the train and you're like, ooh, ooh, I don't really like those. I don't like train. And I say, okay, cool. But what we're going to do here is we're going to do something you enjoy, right? We're going to sit on a park bench and read a book, or we're going to play soccer or we're going to do birding. We're going to do whatever it is that makes you happy where you're aware that there's a train, but you're doing good things. And what that does is it changes that brain chemistry. So we're not distracting you, right? We're not like, ooh, ooh, forget the train. You're still aware of the train. You're not a moron. You haven't forgotten it. But what you are is you're releasing feel-good hormones into your body that are going to become paired over time with the sound, the sight, whatever of the train. And over time, we will be able to get closer and closer and closer and closer to that train. As long as we never force you to get too close in the meantime, because then we're going to reignite that fear or a train jumps off the track in your city and kills a whole schoolyard of kids. Cause then you're like, mm, Nope, I was right. Trains are dangerous. So it's the same thing with our dogs. We need to start desensitizing them at a distance where they recognize the trigger's existence. They're a little concerned about that trigger, but they're not so concerned that they can't eat food or can't play or can't do something else. And then we pair the sight of that person with that awesomeness. So awesomeness equals person equals awesomeness equals person. And eventually what happens, we actually change the brain chemistry until the dog's like, oh, I guess people aren't so bad. So as you can imagine, this process is not a super fast one. It, it does take time. And so for many people and understandably because of the embarrassment and danger and overwhelming stress that is placed on somebody who has one of these types of dogs, you can see why a quick answer, quick solution can be the solution that they would lean towards. Right. And so I understand why just say, well, okay, I don't care how you feel about the train, right? I don't give a shit about how you feel about the train. What I don't like is that when you're near a train, you start shaking and screaming and crying. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make your behavior, your screaming and crying and getting upset, I'm going to make that behavior so untenable, so uncomfortable that I'm changing the behavior and ignoring the underlying emotion. And frankly, I think that's unethical. That's where I come from. But I can also see why that looks like a super easy solution. The, the solution I described takes time. It's not a one and done. It, it can take a very long time, depending on the skill set of the trainer, depending on 
the history of the dog depending on a myriad of issues because one of the one of the confounding problems that we have with dogs with reactivity is either situations that keep repeating themselves so dogs in the neighborhood keep bum rushing your dog and setting us back down to zero again or our dog is fundamentally nervous or anxious by nature and so we're we have an uphill battle right i mean we all know people who have anxiety, they're fearful, they're worried, and you can tell them it's nothing to worry about all day long. But the fact of the matter is that it's fundamentally who they are and changing them massively is unlikely, if not impossible and possibly unethical, but making them so that they can function at least enough in life that their life is not becoming smaller because of that fear, that in my opinion is the only ethical choice to make. So we can see how this very, very, very common issue that we see with dogs, reactivity, can become very, very complicated depending on where that behavior comes from. So another example is let's say your dog's not fearful, okay? And that is always the hope. When I have a dog come to me and they have reactivity behaviors and I'm looking at those behaviors and I'm trying to suss out, well, where is this coming from emotionally? The best thing I can hope for is that really your dog is just a frustrated greeter and just doesn't know how to handle that emotional baggage, as it were. Those dogs are actually really easy. And those dogs, you really can just use a punisher, if that's how you roll, or an interrupter, which is what I tend to do, which is kind of like, hey, hey, knock it off, and then just carry on. The other thing you can do, which is, is also super valuable, is you can use proximity to the dog or person as a reward for good behavior. So whereas the other dog getting more proximal, becoming more, becoming closer to that trigger is bad. It's scary. It's getting closer and closer to the train tracks when you don't want to be near the train tracks. Let's say you love trains. You think trains are the coolest, but what happens when you hear about trains is you get so excited that you start jumping up and down and yelling. Well, we don't really want you jumping up and down and yelling, but we want you to go near the train, right? We want you to be able to function in a world of trains. So what we do is as long as you're holding it together, we get to move towards that train. You get what you want, which is going towards the train. Now, we're not gonna necessarily have you board the train. You're not gonna ride the train around, but we're gonna use getting closer to the train as a reward. If you start acting like a nitwit, we simply make a U-turn, we walk away from the train. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait, that's not what I wanted. And so you come to your senses a little bit and you're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'll hold it together next time. And that is actually a really quick fix, a really quick fix. And it can be very, very effective in a very short period of time. That's what I want. When I have dogs who are reactive and the owner's like, this is the situation and I'm looking at the dog and I'm thinking, oh, you know, cause reactive dogs can be really hard is I really want that dog because that dog can really be dealt with in in several minutes, honestly, usually if they have any sort of communication skills whatsoever with with the owner and some sort of history of training. And anytime we have a reactive dog, we also have to remember that we have tons of other confounding issues. We have the relationship with the owner. We have the relationship with the leash. We have the ability to walk on a leash because if the dog is already at the end of the leash, the dog is already disconnected from the owner. The dog is already strangling itself on the end of the leash or just on a harness and, and just pulling like a freight train. 
then the dog is already disconnected from the owner and it's kind of by itself. And so if it finds itself in a situation that it finds fearful or stressful, then it's just going to react because why not? And the owner barely exists. So one of the things that many, many trainers do is when they're faced with reactive dog is they don't work on reactivity to start with. We start on how can you walk your dog without it water skiing, you water skiing behind it. Or how do we teach the dog to put you back in the picture from walking? Or if our dog is globally anxious, how do we just make our dog feel better about life in general? How do we give our dog additional tool sets so they feel stronger and more confident? How do we let the dog understand that even though the owner has maybe failed the dog multiple times by allowing strangers to continue to approach, allowing dogs to invade their space, that now you are working in good faith, you are no longer a bad actor, and you are, have their back, and so they no longer have to have their back because you've got it. So you can see how, again, how this extraordinarily common issue that we see in dogs can be extraordinarily complicated to train, is very dependent on the relationship with the owner, the relationship with the environment, the, the relationship with genetics, the relationship with early foundation training and socialization, all of that comes into play. And as a trainer, we look at all of that and we come up with a solution that is going to best fit that dog and that owner under those circumstances with the skill sets that everybody brings to the table. And some dogs are going to have more success than others. Now, there's an interesting thing in the world where there are trainers out there who have dogs who are reactive for life. And those are dogs who, for the rest of that dog's life, they just cannot cope with various situations. Honestly, I've never seen that happen in my hands. So it's hard for me to see that as, as, a, as a way forward, but I also can see how it can go on for a very long time, especially if the dog is, if you keep allowing the dog to be, to be assaulted. Also, if you never permit the dog to feel any sort of distress and you're always working way below threshold, the dog won't ever feel enough stress to be to overcome it, to learn to, to have that tool in their toolbox to overcome that fear. I do have dogs who will sometimes forget. Cody's a perfect example. When I got her, she was extraordinarily dog reactive. Any dog shape on the horizon and she'd completely blow up. She had a history of dog-dog aggression as a puppy and so she had very good reason and she's a high dry border collie so she had a lot of just kind of anxiety and weirdness anyway and it did take a quite a while most of the reason it took quite a while to be absolutely honest with you is because i live on a mountaintop and it's hard to practice when you live on top of a mountain without neutral dogs you know i she knew her dogs she knew my dogs but i needed another person with neutral dogs that we could work around and here in arizona you can't just park your dog in a truck if you're doing errands so it took her a while to get better but honestly at this point my expectation from her, this is a dog who's attacked her own reflection. She has uh, attacked the cardboard cutouts at PetSmart. She has, when I introduced my livestock guardian dog as a puppy, after three days of her seeing the puppy around, sniffing where the puppy had been, kind of just becoming slowly aware of the puppy over time, and being muzzled, muzzled when she was finally introduced to the puppy, she still muzzle punched the puppy with her, her muzzle on. Uh, she's gone from that dog to a dog that when she's off leash is completely safe around any dog that is appropriate. Now, if the dog's not appropriate, she will correct, but she's very appropriate in her correction. She's not over the top. She's not going to start fights. On leash, 
occasionally she will forget and kind of pop off briefly. And then you just kind of say, hey, hey, hey. And she's like, oh, my bad. And just carries on with her life. So that's the worst case I've seen with any of my dogs. But I can't speak to, you know, other, every dog in the world. So, you know, maybe there are dogs who are going to be like that for life. I'm sure there are. Just like there are people who out there who are never going to be, you know, who are never going to be comfortable in parties. But that's certainly not my goal. And I think if you talk to a trainer who every single one of their dogs is is always you're walking around with a swivel for your head and you're always looking at every single thing and worrying about every single thing, that's a shitty life for you as a handler. And I would probably look for a, better, a different trainer. But I'd also, if a trainer is like, hey, I'm going to just reach for this tool. I'm going to shut your dog down. I can solve this in three sessions. Ethically, I'm, I really struggle with that as an ethical choice to make with your dog. So anyway, I know this is somewhat convoluted, partly because it's taken me 10 times to figure out how to record this, and partly because I had to keep stopping and starting. But I'm hoping this makes sense. I'm hoping there's a cohesion here. I hope you get something out of this and kind of understand a little bit more about why your dog does the things that they do and can kind of come at it from a, a... a more educated understanding of the emotional status behind the behavior because I think that's super important in this in this scenario. Happy training. Hit us up on Facebook. We are there. We have like 17 followers. So there you go. You'd be the 18th. That's super fancy. And uh, happy training and we'll see you all around. Thank you very much.